The series finale in Seattle featured an opener whose name started with Doug, and it ended with Cleveland facing a Graveman. The Indians should have known exactly at that moment that they were dead and buried. This is the Selby is Godcast. You're listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. What? No Paul Bearer? Johnny Headstone unavailable in this game? I mean, come on. The signs were all Rest in peace. (laughs) Oh. Not a good weekend for the Indians in Seattle. Not a great start to this show in terms of puns. But whatever. It's a long season. There'll be many more podcasts and opportunities to get it right. It's TJ Zuppi. It's Zach Meisel. And welcome back for the Selfie's Godcast. Thank you for finding us on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify, Twitter, at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast, and thank you to our Patreon supporters. It's because of you that we're here doing this, and as that special reward, you guys get the midweek episode for a buck per per show. It's like the deal of all deals. I can't imagine there being anything better to spend a dollar on. Some really juicy stuff in the midweek episodes. You guys are missing out if you're not subscribed. What would you say is the the juiciest nugget so far? Oh, man. Boy. Just the uh, all the inside information, all the roster moves that uh, we laid out there that are going to happen, um, <laughs> that we heard, and the trades they're about to make. And yeah, but that's right. You got to wait till midweek for that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is the free one where we just draw you in, we tease you, and then you got to come over to the midweek episode where we're really having a lot of fun. And you know, I felt really bad that a week ago we did a, sh- a little shorter show because it was Mother's Day. You had. S- some things you had to do. I had some stuff I had to do. So it was the shorter show. So we came back in the midweek. And what was that? Like a four-hour extravaganza? I felt like we did the Snyder <laughs> Cut. It was like the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, Selby is Godcast style. That was pretty much what it felt like. Yeah. I mean, the, this team, give them credit. They have given us plenty to discuss over the first six weeks of the season, <laughs> right? I mean, as we had predicted this would be a team that would get really hot and really cold. This would be a team full of guys who don't have track records. So we don't know exactly what to expect. And so we're evaluating them as we go and saying, is this the real deal? Is, does this guy have more in the tank? Is it time to move on? And those answers can change by the day too. So it's been, uh, it has not been a dull first 38 games. I know some of the games themselves have been quite dull, especially, uh, when the team's on the road, every top half of the inning, it seems like. And when the team's at home, every bottom half of the inning, it seems like. But they've been interesting. They've they've kept things interesting, at least for the first six weeks. Yeah, even in the losses in Seattle, you had Josh Naylor hitting a late home run. So his numbers start to look better. And you're thinking, okay, is, is this somebody that you want to bet on long term? And then you have the game on Sunday where Eddie Rosario 
was so anxious to give away one of his outs that he also wanted to give away an at-bat for his teammate, Jose Ramirez, <sighs> who was hitting directly behind him. And he did that by laying down a sacrifice bunt. I understand that you don't want to publicly rip your players too much when they are trying to think unselfishly. However, as much as we used to laugh about the takes about Carlos Santana being what what was it selfishly taking his walks? I, I can't remember what the what was the hot take about him drawing walks. It was a selfish at bat for him to do that, or I can't remember <laughs> what that was. Uh, you you want a player to be thinking about you know what can I do? And in this situation, I think it's laying down this bunt so I can knock the runners into scoring position for Jose Ramirez. But there's that you know key part of strategy that I think. Eddie left out in his brain that uh, they're probably going to put the guy on first base that I don't know. You start every series with the opposition saying this guy right here and they circle him right on the whiteboard. Don't let this dude beat us. And it kind of made it pretty easy for them to avoid that in that situation. And hey, mm-hmm. that's not to excuse Fran Reyes, who then is hitting cleanup and is also getting paid to draw, uh, knock in some runs and he hit into a double play. But I don't think the smart play is to take the bat out of the best player or the best hitter's hands. Terry Francona moved up Eddie Rosario in the order to the number two spot so that he'd see more pitches that he could hit to boost his confidence at the plate, not to bunt in a key situation where you're going to then remove the bat from the hands of the only guy in that lineup who you can rely on. So yeah, bunting is bad 99.5% of the time. And what do you know, that was one of those times. I kind of, lately I've been trying to think, how can I become more team bunting? Because part of the the money ball movement was going against the grain, thinking outside the box. What other cliche do I have in here? Just trying to go against what everyone else is doing. And so I'm thinking, okay, is there something to be gained? Something I'm not seeing. I always want to be thinking and evolving And then you have instances like today where it's like, nope, nope, that sucks. Just don't do that. Never do that again. If there are instances where it makes sense to bunt, we've covered this a million times. You're playing for one run where you could walk it off with that one run, especially in the extra innings with that new rule in place with the runner starting at second base. I'm quite okay with laying down a bunt with the right hitter, mind you. But if you just said never bunt and you pulled out that T-shirt that you have somewhere hidden on your Twitter uh, images, <laughs> I think you'd be all right. I think if you just outlawed it completely, you would you would end up being okay. You could take that off the map for yourself. Yeah, it's just it's the perfect encapsulation. I know this is not the exact quarter mark of the season, but it seems like a good place to kind of reset and reflect on the year that has it has been so far, and that's kind of a microcosm of what this offense has been. When you look at it, where you you finally have an opportunity to break through and and maybe have a, a late game turnaround, a comeback victory. You've got the middle of your order at the plate and your number two hitter, your big free agent signing decides to drop down a sacrifice bunt so that your best player can't hit. And then the big bopper in the middle grounds into a double play. And that's how you have, you have the perfect situation that you could draw up. And that's how it fizzles. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's a perfect microcosm oh, this, this yeah. first quarter of the season. Yeah, perfect. You led into that just with supreme timing because I want to do the 
very hot button radio thing that we're gonna do that we we typically stay super bowl super browns yeah where i i I throw it out on twitter and you vote in the poll and we take calls and we no we're not going to do any of that but we are going to talk about the quarter poll you could only choose one would you choose a browns playoff victory or your firstborn to live till he's 50 Ooh, that's a tough one I always come back to the commercial, the little girl that goes, why not both? And then they lift her up in celebration. <laughs> That's me. Can I just be greedy? Can I enjoy multiple things? Why do, I, why do you always get to make me choose something? If two of the three teams in Cleveland had to leave, why would they be the Cavs and the Indians? <laughs> so the Indians are on pace for as much as like I'm on pace to you know live forever. They're on pace for 89 and a half wins. And so... If you look at what you predicted at the beginning of the season, I think you had him at 80 wins, at least on this show. It changes like minute by minute. I had him, I think, at 82 because I'm the more optimistic person, let's face it, in this relationship. 89 wins, com- comparatively, you would say things are going pretty well. And in some ways, you can absolutely say that they are exceeding some of those expectations. But as we covered on the, the midweek show, there's also a lot where you can point to and say they're not even close to true expectation level. And yet they're still on pace for 89 and a half wins. So how do you properly weigh that? What sort of grade do you put on that? And that's where we'll start today. What would, what grade would you put on the Browns draft? No, wait, not that (laughs) wrong. Nope. What grade would you put on the first quarter of the tribe season? Honestly? Well, I would hope you wouldn't bullshit everybody. I would give them an F. And a T. For fun! And a W. And flip it around and give them a WTF. Because, (laughs) as you said, the individual parts, you add up all the performances, and they do not equal a team that's on pace to win 89 games and snag maybe a wild card. It... It's very odd. We've talked about this. You, if you go through player by player, how many players are exceeding your expectations? Like one? <laughs> Karen check? I mean, Jose Ramirez is having a nice year, but we expect that. The guy's an annual MVP finalist. Framil Reyes, overall, his numbers are solid, but like they're not blowing you away. It's Karen check and that's it. And even with Karen check, it's like, we knew he had the stuff to be the best reliever in baseball. So he's not like, ex- I know his numbers are insane, but even insane numbers for him aren't exceeding expectations by a ton. But like, that's it. Shaw, I guess Shaw would. That, that, that I mean, again, like, it's not like, if you said the Indians are going to be 21 and 17 through 38 games, I would have said, oh, the offense must actually be decent. And that rotation, McKenzie must have stepped up, Bieber doing what he did last year. None of that is true. Um, It's really bizarre. And you can point to it and say, oh, well, the sequencing must be right. They must be a lucky team. No, they were like, I think they were like 1-5 in or 0-4 in in one-run games to start the year until they won those two games against the Cubs last week. Like, none of it makes sense. (laughs) The record does not match the input. Um And so you can look at that two ways because I remember the 2012 Indians were similar and like they were just 
barely scraping along. The division was pretty weak early on. I think the Tigers got hot in the second half, but they made it to the summer, like still in the race. And they were a few games over 500, I think. And you were just like, you were either waiting for a bunch of guys to turn it around or the whole thing to collapse. And it collapsed like a house of cards. And they went 5-24 and 24 in August. And with this team, I feel similarly, I don't know. That doesn't mean that they're going to collapse and end up losing 94 games. But I I, I don't know like that it's just going to all click. You know, yeah. it, it's it's I, like first base isn't just going to solve itself unless they make some changes. And shortstop and center field, same thing. And like McKenzie and whoever the fifth starter is henchous at the moment. Like, like if they have an injury, they're, they're in trouble. Um, you know, I don't know that Karen check and Shaw are going to be perfect forever. Like it seems a little fragile um, because it doesn't seem like a team that should be 21 and 17, but you can also look at this glass half full and say, well, the offense can't be worse and they're going to make changes at some point. And you would think Bieber would be a little bit better. And Plesak seems to be trending in the right direction. McKenzie can't walk a batter per inning the rest of his life. So I don't know. It could go either way. Um, that's why like the grade is tough. I, I I guess in terms of just what their record is based on everything, like I'd probably give them a B B minus. Um, but I'm kind of like at an incomplete or a WTF just because it's like none of it makes sense. Well, I don't think the way that they've played and the record that they have is not sustainable in my mind. They can't, I, I know you can point to, uh, and, and we have, you have a game that you blew because of an error at first base that should have been a win. You had a game early in the season in Detroit, you crushed the ball and you got no results from that. And there's there was a, a little bit of a theme there going on early with the offense where they probably should have been better if they weren't. Over the course of the season, I think things will will start to fall in their favor. You would, I would imagine it would uh, on some level. But I don't think they can do what they have been doing and end up at 89 and a half wins. I don't, I don't see that. I mean, you even saw, we mentioned it, as great as the bullpen has been, um, and depending on what metric you want to use or what old-timey stat you want to use, the bullpen's been one of the best in baseball by pretty much any measure. But Emmanuel Classe is having a little bit of a rough patch where he, he's not throwing strikes at the same rate. Um, he's not as probably as confident as he was early in the year when everything was working and everything was beaten in the ground. Uh, doesn't mean he's bad by any stretch, but I think all of these guys are going to have uh, patches like that. That's just how this goes over 162 games. I would love to say that I see better things in the offense, and you know, I'd like to say you can bet on a track record of, of a couple of veterans in Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez. Cesar has a lot more in his batted ball data that suggests there's better things happening right now, but they haven't been. And Eddie Rosario, you're still waiting for it. And he's dropping down bunts in key situations that doesn't make you feel any better. So I could say that'll get better. There's no guarantee that it will. You're just betting on track record. Can the the top three starters in their rotation continue to carry the weight for the entire season? I think that's unfair to ask of them. So at the beginning of the season, I said 82. And that leads us into what my next question is. But as far as a letter grade, I'm struggling just Based, If you look at the record, I think you, it would be easy to give them a B, but knowing below the surface how they've gotten to that point, I guess I'll be a little bit more of a harsh grader and I'll say C+. A little bit above average is how this feels so far. But to come back to what that record 
prediction was at the beginning of the season, based on what you've seen so far and trying to take all of this that you mentioned into account, if you could redo it now, would you change what your win prediction would be and why? Yeah, I would, uh, I'd switch it to yours. I think I said 80 and I, I, this feels like an average team just because we've seen the really good. We've seen the really bad. And until I know, like, I believe that the, things can't get worse at first base and that they'll only improve, whether that means calling up Owen Miller or Bobby Bradley or moving Naylor there. But until I know what that plan is, and, I, you know, I don't know that Bobby Bradley's going to move the needle a ton. I don't know how much Owen Miller would actually play at first base. I don't know if Daniel Johnson would make a difference. Um, so I don't <laughs> – the offense should be better, but I, it's not going to, you know, they're not going to jump from like the bottom five in the league to middle of the pack. So, but you know, the weird thing about that is that I look at this offense and I think too much you're, you're, you're waiting for Jose and Fran Mill to carry this team. And they have for some stretches, um, Jose, probably a little bit more consistently, but the the rest the looking at the rest of this, it's like, Man, if you just got one other guy to elevate to just solid level, not even great, but just solid. Naylor's kind of been flirting with that a bit, but he's not quite there yet constantly. It's like, man, one additional hitter, and I'm not even I'm not even gonna say two. One additional hitter waking up and doing something semi-consistently to to have three guys now in the lineup that can that can burn you. Doesn't this offense just look so much better in comparison? And that's because of just how bad they have been. Yeah, but it's it's one more competent hitter plus Hernandez and Rosario returning to what they can do, plus Ramirez and Reyes avoiding these. I mean, R- Ramirez has, but like Reyes goes in these awful prolonged funks. And it's just, I mean, it's it's hard. Like they can't get multiple guys hot at the same time. And if you want to score runs without the home run ball, you have to do that. Yeah. And then you get to the bottom of the order and it's like, you know, you have days where it's Bowers, Jimenez, and Hedges. And it's just, I mean, that's, you're never going to score runs with that. Yeah. I mean, when Hedges comes to the plate, I, looking at that today, he comes up in a key spot in the sixth and you're asking yourself, do you pinch it in this situation? And most managers right. won't. Because it's the sixth inning and you're going to your backup catcher for the final three innings and something bad happens. Who's playing catcher? Josh well, Naylor? Plus what I mean, you're gonna have Renee Rivera have a key at bat in the eighth or ninth, then. Right. Yeah. Um and, and maybe you just cross that bridge when you get there. But the overall point is here. Hedges, uh, and I've texted you this many times so far this year, is so much fun to watch. The skill that he has defensively behind the plate, the way he guides the pitchers through games. Is fun um, fun the right word there? I don't I mean it depends on on if you're a uh a, a catching coach at some level, you would probably love to put on tape of Austin Hedges and show your class what a man can do behind the plate to help his pitching staff. But it ain't fun watching him hit. And, and he can occasionally bomb one out of the park, but it's like uh, almost an automatic out. About, uh, what, 90% of the time, that's what it feels like right now. Yeah, he's 7 for 51 with 21 strikeouts. So, But it shouldn't be on Austin Hedges to come through with a major base hit. It, to me, it has always been the added bonus that if you get some offense there, great. Otherwise, you need the rest of these, the rest of your group to, to step up in those situations. It shouldn't all be on, well, the catcher isn't doing it. So that's what that's what the huge problem here is offensively. 
Yeah. So, I I mean, to answer your question, I I think I agree with you that 89 playing the way they've played seems unsustainable. Um, I I do think the offense will get a little bit better just with some tweaks and with maybe some of the veterans hitting better. And then the rotation, like I, I think Bieber will be better. I think McKenzie will be better. I think. So I, I think my original guess of 80 is probably a little bit low. I would go like 83, 84. Does that sound about right? No, I think that's fair. I, I was ready to bump it two wins at most. I was ready to go from 84 being probably the, the highest I'm comfortable with. But the safer thing for me is probably 83. I bumped it up a win. Just because I think there are going to be some some stretches where you're not getting the offense and the pitching is not going to be as great. But right. we, we've stressed if the bullpen can can pitch like one of the best in the game, you'll hang around the 500 mark. There's no doubt in my mind. You'll be a competitive team because those low scoring games, you hold a pretty significant advantage right now when you can call on a Karen check and a Shaw and class a when he's right. And, um, you know, Sandlin had a bad game, but I think you like what you see there so far. Um, and, and you have an, even some of the, the lesser tiered weapons, you still can get Phil Maton come in and get a big strikeout in some occasions. You know, Cal Quantrill has saved them in a couple of, of situations with the ability to go multiple innings. So you got a nice collection of arms down there that if that continues, I don't think you you risk being bad, even if the offense continues on this level. But if they falter at all, and I think that's very possible because we're talking about young arms and we're talking about the volatility of relief pitching. You could always go through some stretches where it could get ugly, but I think eighty-three to eighty-four. So I'll I'll bump it up a win, maybe a win and a half. If they win at eighty-three and a half. I don't know how that'll happen, but I'm not ruling it out. Two things to keep in mind: one, I know Roberto Perez is sidelined for a while after a just a freak injury, um, but this team hasn't dealt with injuries really, and a lot of other teams are dealing with a lot of injuries. It'll be interesting to see what happens if. I don't know, a starting pitcher gets hurt. Yeah. And then you're digging into depth that doesn't really exist. Or I I mean, God forbid Jose Ramirez gets hurt or something, someone like that. I mean, it's it's they they're it's fragile. It seems like they're yeah. kind of on thin ice here. Well, that's probably a good reason why we're seeing parody around baseball right now, wouldn't you think? And that was my second point, yeah. Is that I can't really tell you who the best teams in baseball are. I mean, on paper the Dodgers look like a juggernaut. They've had their moments. They've had some really rough stretches too. In the American League, especially, are the White Sox the best team? Are the Red Sox like yeah, they, were, they were terrible last year? Their pitching is still not very good. What's up with that offense though? They've been uh, really good, and the White Sox now catching fire, but they're out two key right. bats. And you got to think that they're going if they continue to win, they're gonna they're not gonna be having Billy Hamilton out there as a regular outfielder for the entire season. They'll make some additional moves. Yeah, the Twins are doing a good job of making sure that they don't extend their postseason loss streak this year. Oh, my. Um, but the, the American League's wide open, a ton of parity. So it'll be interesting to see, I mean, if the, if the, if we're correct and the Indians wind up, let's say, 84 wins, there might be like nine teams <laughs> right around there. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll feel special, and I don't think anyone will really be too ecstatic about that. But let's say – they get to that that 89 mark, end of the year. I don't know how they get there, but 89. It's impossible to say that's a success without knowing any other details. But damn it, tell me, was that a successful season? I, I think it is if you can, again, strip away your feelings about ownership and 
Frankie Lindor and how the last few years ended and how maybe they didn't act aggressively enough to try to win a World Series when they had that elite core. If you can yeah. strip away all of your thoughts about that and consider this, this as being the transition year, year one of the next era or like the year Kansas City was probably hoping this was for them, the year Detroit probably hopes next season or the year after is, um, basically like last year for the White Sox. Like if you consider it in that context where this is the stepping stone forward, it's the springboard, it's it's the retool, then yeah, it's a, definitely a success in that context. But more important than the win total is just going to be the individual development. Do they have the pieces in place moving forward into next year so that they can say our goal is to win the division and make a deep run in October? Yeah, it's um, a- so you're going to need individuals to prove that they're ready for that. So yeah. if, if this continues where it seems like we haven't learned much in the positive sense, but yet the team is in good standing, it's not as successful as it could be. Yeah, more on that in a bit. I, I think it is tough to to say that without any sort of context because if it's because Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez caught fire in the second half, well, okay. I mean, that's fine for 2021, but I don't think any of those are long-term fits for this roster. So, I, yeah, I think that would make that tough to, to truly know in this moment. Are you ready to do some rapid fire? Hell yeah. It probably won't be rapid because we often – Talk ourselves in circles. Most disappointing player so far. I'm going to say Tristan McKenzie. Um, and he even admitted he's been letting his teammates down. So I think he wouldn't yell at me for this. I Look, this is a guy who always his ability to limit walks was a strength. Coming up through the minors during his rookie year. And now it's a big issue. More so than the velocity fluctuations. We've talked about this in length. He is getting tons of swings and misses, even if he's throwing 90 miles an hour. Um, his Whether it's just his long arms making it tough to pick up the baseball or whatever, um, guys don't see it well. But he is allowing about a walk per inning, and it's coming back to haunt him. Because then when he misses with his command in the strike zone, that's when you see guys crushing the ball. And they have. So... Like, yeah, like I just I, sit I, on the fastball in a zone and just yeah. wait for it. So I say he's the biggest disappointment. I understand there are about 30 people in the lineup you could pick. And I understand that this is a guy who didn't pitch for two years and then made eight appearances last season. There were always going to be growing pains and hurdles for him. And it's not fair. Like I'm not labeling him like, um, like an outcast or something here, but like, you know, I think it's it's the way he it's the things he's done on the mound that have been disappointing because they're they're uncharacteristic, and it seems like something that should be correctable. Um, we'll see if it is moving forward. Well, I think your disappointment stems from your high expectation or belief in him. It's not coming from a place of cynicism. More so, it's that disappointment of expecting somebody to be really good and still knowing that they're going to stub their toe some, or in more so in. His case uh, for me, don't worry. I'll pick. So- Hi, I'll pick somebody on the offense. <laughs> I'll, I'll carry the side here. Uh, I don't. How think- are you going to choose? <laughs> it's so very difficult. But I will settle on someone that we're just tearing apart. Apparently, on this podcast, I had no plans of this. But poor Eddie Rosario, <laughs> you made disappointing, most disappointing through the first 
quarter of the season. And I say that because if they had got this is not me believing that he, and we talked about this at the time of the signing. I never thought that he was going to come in here and put up a 130 WRC plus. It's not the type of hitter he is. Didn't think he's going to come in here and hit 40 bombs. What I did think he was going to be is more of a steadying force to just add to Ramirez and Franmil Reyes. Eddie, Eddie. And if you had gotten that, I think you could probably say they'd have maybe two or three more wins. And, and that's not to say it's all on him. But what I'm saying is it just a little bit more competent offense where you can have a couple more runs scored. I think there you could make a case that uh, that little bit of difference based on the type of bullpen performance they've gotten, the starting staff from the, the top three for the most part, if you had just had just a little bit of steadying offense from Eddie Rosario for what we've seen for years from him in Minnesota, I think this team would be a lot better off for it. So for that reason, he is my most disappointing, most surprising. Well, Rosario does lead the team with five stolen bases, and he's probably going to set a career high <laughs> in that this year. So you're being a little harsh. Yeah, that's true. I didn't anticipate that. That's what you want out of a guy hitting near the top of the lineup for sure. Exactly. By the way, shout out to my cat who's going to make an appearance throughout the show. I'm sorry. I've got two kids sleeping upstairs. I, I can't go anywhere else. This is what you got. Uh, I'm going to go most surprising Brian Shaw, which is probably the least surprising answer I could have given. Um, I, look, when I first got a text over the winter saying that they were bringing him in, um, and I was told, <laughs> prepare your, your Twitter mentions because um, they're about to get ugly. I I mean, I couldn't believe it. I think I just sent back a bunch of exclamation points at first. Um, I, look, he sent the team all the data from his bullpen sessions as he was ramping up. And this is a guy who's bought into spin rate and efficiency and all the metrics you can handle. And he was trying to prove to the Indians, hey, I found something. I'm different. And they wanted to make sure this wasn't just like a come on into camp, pitch for a couple of weeks. And then they found themselves in a situation where they were like, Ugh, we don't really think this guy has it, but we love him and he's comfortable here. And we didn't want to lead him on. They didn't have to do that. I mean, he looked sharp in spring training and he's been Fantastic. I mean, he's been their second best reliever, hasn't he? Behind like the otherworldly dude who strikes everybody out. I mean, it's he has been really good. And I think the greatest compliment you could pay him is he has already gone back to that role of being Terry Francona's guy whenever he's in a pinch. <laughs> Whether it's coming in with the bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning to uh, protect a two-run lead and warming up. I know he had warmed up an inning earlier, but he threw like three pitches and then came in to to bail out Class A the other night um, or to just throw a, a scoreless seventh to pave the way for Karen Check and Class A. I mean, he you can pitch him at any time, any day. He goes crazy if he doesn't pitch. Um, it's like the old Shaw and honestly, like maybe a little tick better which is just nuts to think about, but he's definitely been the most surprising. Well, I, I am happy that you often see in movies, if they have a, a time jump, the characters will ha they'll have to age them in some way. And oftentimes it's, Oh, get a beard or take away the beard. So I'm thankful that you're getting Brian Shaw with the giant bushy beard so that in the future, when you look back on this, you'll know, 
was this Brian Shaw before he left or Brian Shaw after he left? It just makes it much easier to just kind of decipher this really quickly. You know, when you're not looking at the numbers and seeing how the cutter's moving and all the good things I wrote about this week. I would love to say somebody else, but it's obviously Brian Shaw. There's nobody else that's even been close. I think I said when they signed him, um, on top of the jokes I made about anytime anybody signs a non-roster invite player, Twitter just loses their shit. It's like, okay, maybe calm down a second. But people were losing their shit because they just thought, oh, well, of course, he's just going to go right back into the setup role. And I said at the time, if he just assumes that role, th- things have probably gone wrong. But man, have they gone so right. <laughs> they gone so right for him to, to get back in. Because it wasn't like... Francona was was thrusting him into that position without reason. We saw it in spring training that the velocity was up, the pitches were moving like 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 we haven't seen in in a long time, or maybe ever with him, in the way that they were the velocity they were coming in, in addition to the movement, uh, was so surprising to see it. So that when he was brought in, uh, kind of in the if there was a depth chart, he was probably what fourth to begin the year, and then very quickly passed up Nick Whitgren. But it wasn't like, a, well, it's just because it's Tito's body. No, he pitched himself that quickly into the role. So not surprising at all. And as I, again, as I wrote, his cutter is among one of the best pitches in baseball right now. That's crazy to me. I mean, he's, he's always relied on that. It's always been the bread and butter for him. But it's just been so good. And he's just been so reliable that there aren't many guys that you could say are are veterans on a team like this that truly make it fun to watch them come in and operate, but it's been fun to watch this guy pitch. And he is still that guy who talks a mile a minute. And it, I mean, he's hilarious. He will <laughs> let you in on some of his secrets, but will make sure, you know, he's not letting you in on all of them. Good. And good definitely has definitely has a good perspective on, the other guys too. I mean, he is. See, the oldest player on the roster now with Oliver Perez gone. Yeah, and well, Rene Rivera technically. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so he's and he knows it. And I love that he said, you know, "We have a <laughs> lot of young, talented relievers, and I'm definitely here to help them along, but not too much because I don't want them taking my job. So I got to make sure that I'm, well, I'm doing what I need to do you, too." You get the best of both worlds when he's throwing like this, and he's helping people out. Exactly. I, I give guys credit. Not everybody wants to take on that role, uh, and it's a different sort of leadership than you know other other leaders. That you could say, oh well, Michael Brantley was a leader because he led by example, or Francisco Linder was a leader because he was vocal and he was willing to talk. And you have different sorts of leaders, but I think it's interesting watching guys throughout their career, maybe even people that you didn't think were going to gravitate towards that role kind of pick up and run with it by the time they cross whatever that threshold might be. All right. What player are you most ready to move on from right now? Well, it's a guy who I think the team has like already done that. And that's Yu Chang who isn't even starting against lefties anymore. I, I don't know what his purpose on the roster is. And here's the thing. His slash line is 137, 185. 176 and that's in 51 at bats which is not a huge sample size but i mean he is he's hit almost as often as jake bowers that's been a timeshare at first base or it was until this past week but you're not going to learn i mean this guy came up as a power hitting shortstop okay 
So for him to just be facing lefties and playing first base, it's not it's not a skill set anyway. So if you're hoping he turns it around, well, he's not going to – I don't know how he would in this role. So he's someone to me who just needs to go to AAA. I think Owen Miller, and we'll get to this, but I think he makes more sense in that role just because he's a hitter. And so you can play him against lefties or righties, and then you can play him in other spots. And Yu Chang has just been playing first base. It's just it's, it never made sense. It reminded me of a couple years ago when Greg Allen was in a center field platoon and was only facing lefties, and like it was his worst split. And it just it never made sense. And then he was really struggling for like a month, and they sent him down. And Tito was like, "Yeah, we probably put him in an unfair position." Well, I, I think they've done that here with Yu Chang as well. And that's not to make an excuse. I mean, he has not hit whatsoever but he's not going like how is anybody going to thrive in this role it's hard enough as it is and then just moving forward with very limited opportunities i don't think he's going to get in a rhythm at the plate so let him go to triple a and if you get an opening like you don't need a utility player on this team when you have jimenez and rosario so yeah, I think I think they've. It seems like they've seen enough of him. Yeah. It's just based on his playing time. Well, my answer will be a two-parter, and they'll be related. One, because I don't want to just say the exact same thing that you did. I just did that with Brian Shaw. The other part of this, uh, to move on from the guy that I want to move on from, or I think they should move on from. It's going to ne- necessitate Yu Chang going down, and I say this because it's it's Jake Bowers, but. When I, when I say move on from, I don't think you have to DFA him tomorrow. But my point is, I think there are, I think that the time has come when we're seeing, even at his best, Jake Bowers, what's the true ceiling there? I, I, the numbers below the surface, we've gone over this, I've written about this. There's some better things going on than the actual production will suggest. But having said that, like even if you map out what the best for Jake Bowers looks like, Casey Kochman. Yeah, I mean, what Minus what is the it? Crocs. <laughs> what is it? I don't think we're talking about even uh, like a Hosmer here situation. I, I don't see that. I, I think Kochman's a pretty good example of a guy that was competent at first base and had a good reputation there. But even if he's going at his best, is that somebody? I, do I feel like? Well, for this team, yes, maybe. But do I feel like I can't go find a one ten WRC plus to go play first base? And if if Albert Pujols, if if that's the the ceiling for him, do I think he can still hang around for now? Yeah, because injuries do happen, or you go to other guys and they aren't giving you the answer. So maybe you work your way back to other other people. I don't think you got to cut ties with with Bowers tomorrow, but I also don't think I think he's shown us enough that you don't truly have to feel bad if you start pulling away the playing time for for him and. It just rolls into the question I have for you next. Which player should get the next opportunity? Well, hold on before you bring up his name. Let me just say, when I asked you the question in spring training, what under-the-radar guy should everyone be talking about? What did I say? I believe you said um, Come on, Ben Gamble. Yeah, I knew you were going to go into this. It was, it was Owen Fregan Miller. That's what I said. Who did I say? You said Sam Hentges. We've both been pretty, pretty good. pretty good there. One guy's in the rotation right now, and one guy might be in the lineup very soon. Although uh, Chris Antonetti has apparently never heard of him, or whatever that was. I don't know. Bad joke, man. The offense sucks. It's time to make some changes. 
So Owen Miller, by the way, only had one hit on Sunday, so his average is down to 477. His Never OPS, mind. OPS is 1192. Um, you know, Ben Gamble was hitting 600 with a 1400 OPS for Columbus before he was DFA'd, so be careful what you wish for. Um, Owen Miller, look. I told you what my prediction is. This <laughs> is based on the way that we've seen guys leave that didn't get opportunity. Oh, well, the, yeah, of course they finished above 100 in WRC plus somehow <laughs> with the Pirates. That's just how that works. <laughs> uh, do we need to talk about Jesus Aguilar not getting a chance in Cleveland because he might have produced and oh then become God. expensive three years later? And what is he, what is that? I tried. Oh, to, I tried to to get into that brain worm sort of galaxy head, but I couldn't. I couldn't get there. Just couldn't quite make it there. So is the take there that the Indians just want all of their players to be bad at all times? Like, what is the take? So if you want to get really, really like meta, you could say that the goal of a team like the Indians is to develop talent that's really good, but not like super mega star like Francisco Lindor. Yeah, how pissed are they about Jose Ramirez? Although they, then they signed him to a team-friendly deal, so they were happy. Yeah, or the key is just make sure you draft guys who are desperate to sign immediately. But yeah, I, I, that take uh, that take like setback. <laughs> double down on it. <laughs> yeah. Also, okay. You know what? I, uh, little intermission here. We should also talk about scouts for like. Give me like sixty seconds here. Okay, so I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago because um, I had heard – I don't have a ticking clock. I had heard through the grapevine – I believe I looked this up and my the conversation I had was like April 28th. Um, and I had heard that the Indians were like – someone had said like, hey, I think the Indians might be letting go of all their scouts. Like you might want to check on this. Um, so I talked to some people and and here here's the deal because I know people were freaking out and they think this is Dolan being Dolan. Okay, you know me. Like I, this I, I have no reason to defend ownership. I don't defend ownership most of the time, and um, you know all you the people in my mentions. Anytime I mention like Bieber, or Jose Ramirez, saying enjoy him, enjoy. I know I was there when he said it. Okay, like I, I get it. We can move on to another phrase or a quote or something. So point is, they first of all teams are getting rid of scouts. Okay, like. Teams have found, and they especially found during the pandemic, that you don't need to send 25 area scouts to games every day and let them watch some third baseman bat three times and then draw conclusions based on what they saw. Um, it's it's helpful to have a scouting perspective, and the Indians really value getting to know these players inside and out so that they can understand their drive and their motivation and their willingness to improve and embrace the resources they have, et cetera. So like, they're not eliminating their scouting department by any means. I mean, I, I said to someone, I was like, so are you going to go from 20 some area scouts to like two by next year? And they're like, no, God, no. Um, but teams are using more video to analyze hitters swings and the pitchers mechanics. And uh, last year you couldn't go to games and scout. So everybody had to do that. And so things are a little bit more efficient now because you can rely on that more. So that paired with the fact that like, yeah, there are definitely some COVID ramifications and uncertainty with the labor agreement was used as 
sort of an excuse um, that maybe there will be a strike or something like that, and that might affect things. But the bottom line is, I think all teams, I mean, the Astros eliminated their scouting department. Like There are other teams that just like greatly reduced theirs. The Indians kept every single scout on the payroll through the pandemic, which was not the case everywhere. A lot of teams had layoffs. Um, so I do think there is a desire to get more efficient or streamline a little bit more, but they aren't like, like they didn't fire anybody. Two people left on their own terms and they told guys like, Hey, if you can get a, say a three-year contract with another team, a long-term commitment, we can't guarantee that right now. So go ahead and do that. If like, if you were approached by another team or if you have interest in moving somewhere else. So that's the deal. I, I saw some tweets and people freaking out. I saw some lack of context, um, but it, it's it's more just a part of that's what that's the way the sport is trending. It's just a lot more video and doing things remotely and analysis of video and data instead of just in-person stuff. And that doesn't mean they're getting rid of the in-person stuff, but you know things things change and they adapt over time. So uh, like. The misinformation out there is ridiculous. And I know I don't always, I didn't write a story on this because I didn't know if it was, if it merited a story. I didn't know if people cared about it. Apparently they care a little bit, but hopefully that paints a clearer picture. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So Jesus Aguilar. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Owen Miller, though, is somebody that is in their organization. They liked when they acquired him. We saw him. I mean, did he, did he slow down at all in spring training? And then at the alternate side, it's on the team. And then now it can just continues to hit. And that's what they have. Uh, whenever somebody describes them, they just, <laughs> the first word seems like is hitter. He's a real baseball <laughs> player out there. Well, thank God, because we're not out here playing cricket, but the dude does just rake. Now, I don't know if that sort of profile long-term makes sense at first base. Gosh, you'd like somebody that could hit for a little bit of power there. If only they had a power bat that played first base, that might be just as good as the guy that you had playing first base. Now, Matt Laporta. What is it? Pizza shops? Is that was it? Insurance? Switch over to real estate. I think real estate. Yeah, that's right. I I got an ad one day for Jody Garrett. I think did Jody Garrett have real estate? No, I I thought he was an agent. I ran into him at the winter meeting. Oh, was was he an agent? Now I I swear at one one point something about Jody Garrett and real estate popped up, but I'm completely lying or something. In any case, Owen Miller is the guy that he had real estate in the. Kansas City Royals head in 2003. There you go. Or is it the Tigers? Bring it back full circle. I don't know. He had like nine home runs and 27 rabies against one of those like teams. Glaber Torres types stretch against the Orioles that really has made his entire career to this point. <laughs> but uh, so players should get the next opportunity. I think it's Owen Miller. I, I'm not worried about fit, position. You said it so beautifully our last podcast. The Indians are looking for hitters. They need hitters. Find out a way to make it work, but you need guys that can swing the bat and get on base and preferably do that with a little bit of consistency. Yeah, I, I my spidey sense tells me he'll be up soon. <sighs> he has to be. And I honestly think it's more because of just Chang is just, it's not completely his fault. Again, they haven't played him. <laughs> like they clearly aren't buying in. So, it, there's no reason not to make that switch. And I know Owen Miller's only played in 11 games at AAA so far this year, but the dude's 24 years old. 
He, I mean, he probably would have played at AAA last season had there been a season. So it, it is a natural progression. And look, they always want to call guys up when they're excelling, right? You don't want to just like Bobby Bradley has struggled so far. I think, I think he's hit a bunch of home runs, but not putting the ball in play much or like the outfielders like Zimmer and Mercado aren't hitting. You wouldn't call them up right now. You want guys playing well. And so this guy has been doing nothing but hitting since he got to Arizona. So it makes a ton of sense. You want to give that lineup a jolt at some point. And you look down at AAA and it's like, I mean, I know the lineup is interesting. I mean, you've got a lot of guys who you're going to want to learn about, whether it's Gabriel Arias, Daniel Johnson, Bradley, Bradley Zimmer, Mercado, Nolan Jones, who's just off to an abysmal start. But you're going to want to learn about all of those guys over the next 18 months. So you got to start somewhere. Let's go with Owen Miller because there aren't a lot of those guys I named aren't thriving right this second. So give this guy a chance while he is. Yeah. And to be fair to the organization about Yu Chang, we talked about it before. They gave him his shot when he was coming out of spring training. It wasn't a perfect fit on this roster, but they looked at a guy that was swinging the bat well, probably feeling the best he's ever felt as a professional, at least this close to the major leagues. And they had an opening to try to get his bat in the lineup, and they faced a lot of lefties in the first month of the season. They tried to get that bat going, and it didn't work as as much as they tried. So, like, at this point, yes, he's a backup shortstop third baseman, but you, you, you do have Rosario. You have Jimenez. It's not a, a pressing need for this team to have somebody that can go play short. So what what role is he filling? What is he doing for this team? You're doing him a disservice by just planting him on the bench and occasionally giving him an at-bat late in the game. Just doesn't make much sense to me. Which player that's performed badly, though, are you going to give more time to? Well, I I don't uh, – badly maybe is a little harsh. Um I really believe in Josh Naylor. I think he is kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't say bad at all for his performance. I've been very encouraged, actually. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at the surface numbers and you see a 696 OPS, see only three home runs, six walks and 29 strikeouts, um, you see the talent in there, right? I mean, this guy plays with reckless abandon. They need that. He has energy. That's great. It's a good start. And some of the the numbers don't match his profile. That walk to strikeout ratio is totally atypical of what he's done in his career. So I would think that would get better. I honestly think for the walk rate to improve, to, to normalize to where it usually is for him, he needs to get more hits because I just think he's like desperate. I think he's panicky at the plate. You can see it in his chase rate. Um, if you look at the metrics, we know he has power. So it's, it's, you see the ups and downs. He's kind of just symbolic of this offense as a whole. Um, but I, I, I think it's in there. I think we're going to see it. And they believe in that. He's played almost every game. And he's kind of one guy that you don't really think about. When you think about changing all the parts and sending certain guys down, replacing them, or um, he's not really one, even though it hasn't been so pretty. He's not really yeah. one that you think about. All right, they got to find someone to to take his spot in the lineup. Hasn't always been pretty, but like I said, still been flirting around league average. 
some of that's because the league average has kind of stunk this year. Uh, you know, it's because guys are only cared about launch angle. Has nothing to do with hundred fucking mile per hour cutters or anything like that. Um, Come on, go on a rant. <laughs> no, 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 you did that already. Don't need to do that. Uh, but that's somebody that I, I, I am buying stock in still, or at least holding on to the stock that I have. I had a crazy idea for him. And that was before today when he was almost like too passive today. Let a couple of pitches go by in some key spots. I was like, yeah, that's usually when we see him flail away. You want to hear my crazy Josh Naylor idea? Is it a conspiracy theory? It's not a conspiracy. No, I guess. It's just a crazy wild idea. So the problem is, I don't know if it's problem, but you you want to get him a little bit more controlled, right? At the plate. In, in the minor leagues, he showed an ability to draw walks. Now, part of that, it's because you don't have guys living on the edges quite like you have in the major leagues. Certainly look a lot more enticing. But he was willing to take his walks in the minor leagues. And the chase rate, as you said, is through the roof. We have talked before that spots in the lineup don't matter, but they seemingly do for guys. There's something about hitting in the cleanup spot. I feel like I got to go up there and hit home runs. Or hitting in the leadoff spot. I feel like I've got to take a few no. more pitches and be a little bit more patient. No I way. know you're saying, oh, this is a crazy idea. But yeah, why would you want to get Cesar Hernandez and his really bad surface numbers out of the leadoff spot? You want Josh Naylor to be a little bit more controlled, get him at bats, get him to the top of the lineup, and let him hit right in front of Jose Ramirez in the two spot. Oh, I agree 100%. I think I've been saying this or thinking it for months. Totally agree. Tell Naylor, you're going to go hit leadoff. He's going to instinctively think I've got to be a little bit more patient. Maybe that helps him calm down a little bit. And now he's sitting right in front of your best hitter. That just seems like it's, it's perfect. I think you should do that. Yeah. uh, We've seen Luplo. We've seen Ahmed Rosario. We've seen Jake Bowers. We've seen Eddie Rosario in that two spot. I mean, I've advocated. I, Naylor always made sense to me because he's a he, he has been a very good contact hitter, a guy who doesn't strike out a ton, a guy who draws some walks, a guy who can hit lefties and righties. Makes a ton of sense in the two spot. Yeah, I would. I also think it would make a ton of sense to just move everybody up one. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems would. too difficult to wrap your head around, I guess. But yeah, I'd be fine with that. All right, more quickly on the my player that's performed badly that I'm giving more time to is someone you already mentioned, Tristan McKenzie. I I don't think they should be running from him. The things that he needs right now work with major league coaches, Ruben Diabla, Carl Willis, guys that can just get their eyes on him constantly. uh, Keep him on that schedule. um, Very routine oriented for him, you know, pounding him that he's got to be more aggressive. So many times I feel like it comes down to, yes, he does lose command, but we also see him search for the edges of the strike zone and perhaps a desperate attempt to make this perfect pitch when we've seen it. He's got swing and miss stuff even when he doesn't live at 95, 96 miles per hour. The deception, the the extension in which he throws, maybe some of his height plays into it as well. There's there's so much that I do like there that I'm going to live with these struggles, and I think you got to just keep running them out there. I liked in the last his last start, they didn't run from that. You got to get his pitch count up. You've got to see if he can hold up, uh, and and maybe the answer is he just can't, and he's going to forever be a two or three inning guy. 
And then at that point, you adjust and see how you can get the most out of his ability because I think he could be an absolute weapon doing that. But you don't have to get there yet. Let him stay in the major leagues. Let him keep going out there every five days or if you can mix in an extra day every once in a while, that's fine. But I think he needs to be facing major league hitters. He's This is the, the next step in his development. I don't think he gains anything from going down to triple, away, triple A and blowing away quad A players. I just don't think that makes any sense. Agreed completely, but... But if they had a capable fourth starter, maybe a veteran or something, can you imagine McKenzie for three, Henches for three, mm. then Shaw, Karinchek, and then Ghosts for the ninth? Oh, my God. I think he has like seven walks and four innings <laughs> at AAA. But. I was hoping we could get to Ghosts before the end of the podcast. Just to kind of bring it full circle, you, know, you missed out on a quarter of a season of Ghosts in this bullpen. I don't know where he would fit, but I know you'd find a way to squeeze him in there somewhere. That's what she said. You can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. We'll be back later this week over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast, where we have fun in our midweek shows where, like you said, it's, it's a lot of fun, but we give you the juicy stuff that you just can't get on this free podcast. Any parting words? Super Bowl? No. Uh, sprinkles. <laughs> sprinkles, Yeah. How about that? I love how many people only saw that clip and didn't hear what were they talking about? The tag team move there to scoop there to scoop yep. beforehand. Love that. Out of context baseball is the best baseball. <laughs> Until next time, for Zach, I'm TJ. We're out of here. Sprinkles! <laughs>